Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. everyone. We are live. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. I'm Megan and I'm here with RJ. Hey, RJ. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing all right. I'm doing all right. I am, uh, I'm excited to, to do this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, for, for those people who were here last, maybe last week or two weeks ago when my kids kept coming in, I tried to avoid that this time by putting them on the couch with their headphones on. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, if they're trying to come in, just let them in, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I'm excited about today's show, too. We have an amazing guest who I was telling everyone before the show, I was telling RJ and our guest this, that until he actually showed up on the stream, I actually wasn't sure if I was being like catfishing because I catfished. Is that how you say it? Catfished? I don't know. But I didn't know if I was being tricked because he was so (laughs) friendly and so awesome about coming on when I asked him. And I am thrilled that we have Carl Gears Gearhard today on the show to talk about October 14th, 1994. 
show that he played in the encore of. So I'm super excited about getting into this. Yeah, I'm excited too. Let's do, we gotta we gotta do it. Um, I guess there's other, <laughs> there's not much else to say. I hope everyone's enjoying the season of Undermine. I hope everyone's doing okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of a administrative duties today, so. Well, the Undermine season has been so good. I You must be so tired doing it because it's a lot to keep up with even as a listener, but it is so fun. It's been making my like walk to work every day so pleasant, just like hearing all these awesome stories and building up to what is my favorite tour, which is Fall 97. So it's been awesome to listen to. Thanks. It's going to be really, we're trying to keep it, um, we're trying to keep it to 30 minutes an episode to make it a little bit easier for people. And uh, yeah, it's fun. And Tom has been doing the most work in terms of interviewing because Benji and I have uh, have traded off you know, co-hosting, but, um, you know, doing all the prep and listening to all the, I have to listen to a lot of fish shows and it's, you know, it's hard. It's very hard. It's a hard job, RJ. Somebody's got to do it. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's bring on our guest. Um, oh, and we should also, before we do that, remind everyone to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple to get premium episodes and also support what we do. We love it when you show us that you support us by being in the chat and by sharing the pod and giving us reviews. And um, this is a great way for you to support us and all that we're doing here. So check that out. And I think all the fish nerds that listen to this podcast know who Carl Gerhardt is. But as a little reminder, he is a childhood friend of Paige. He started guesting with fish in 1998. And he is the most guested person with fish. So he's been on the most times with the band 31 times, which is just crazy. Crazy. He sat in with side projects too, like Tab and Vita Blue. And the last time he sat in with Fish was in 2012. So I'm voting to have him back because that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, let's bring him on though. Hi, Carl. Hey, Megan. Hey, RJ. Hey, Carl. Nice to see you again. I think you you joined us. We talked about Hampton 98. I think, and we we talked about we we've, we've talked about several shows with you and and a lot of right. stuff. So thank thank you for thank you for coming back to talk about this ninety four show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is so generous of you. We're really excited that you're here. It's also just fun to listen back to nineteen ninety four Fish. This for me was when I started seeing the band, and so any time I listen to Fish from this year, it's just brings me back to that time. But thinking about where they were in 1994 is pretty cool because they started playing in New Orleans, you know, four years before at Tipitina's and they played there for three years. And then they moved to a state theater in 1993. So the same year they're playing the same market, but in bigger venues, which is just showing how much they're growing in like the early 90s. And by 94, they're at this university um, at Tulane playing the show. So it's pretty incredible seeing them kind of stretch so much during this time. I mean, pretty amazing. And Carl, I guess we got to ask you, what, what, well, first of all, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> um, what, what were you doing in New Orleans in October of 94? Uh, first, I'm just going to do uh, just a correction really quick. I started, yeah, play, I started playing with them in 1988, Megan, a long time ago. Oh, did um, I say 98? I'm sorry. You said I 98, but that, that's okay. I'm so sorry. That's you're just dating uh, me. That's all right. Read my notes wrong. Sorry, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. Um, but anyway, I was at the time in from, I think, 90, the beginning of 92 to 94, I was living in New Orleans. I was in the Navy band in New Orleans at the time. So that's what I was doing when they came through town. And I played with them at Tipitina's, also at that State Palace Theater uh, well, when they came through. So I think that the third time might have been at the uh, in Tulane, mm -hmm. did the they show also, we're talking about. Did they also, um, did you play New Orleans when you were with the, um, when they were touring with the horns, with the giant country horns too? Did you guys play no, in New Orleans then? No, we didn't make it to New Orleans. Uh, actually, the, the giant country horn tour basically went as far south as we could go because I had to get back to the Navy band. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Trey and it said, Hey, how, how much time can you get off? This is the horn tour in 91. And, and basically at the time my boss gave me like 
I think 30 days off or something like that uh, vacation time that I had. But anyway, I still was able to leave the Navy band for that much time. And they just kind of plotted a tour from Burlington. And I think our last gig was in, uh, in Atlanta with the aquarium rescue unit. But if I could have stayed longer, the tour probably the horns would have gone a little bit longer because the band continued on, you know, and they went back to Amy's farm. So that was another, a great gig that unfortunately I missed. I mean, still to get a month off and to do that tour with them. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely life-changing for me. It was an incredible experience, but, you know, just staying connected with the band after that, you know, and uh, of course my, my friendship with Paige is, uh, you know, that was key. And, uh, and then after the horn tour, you know, just being able to sit in and, and doing other things and other projects was great. Yeah. And so how did you end up playing this show? Um, well, I, I had played, uh, I had to actually go back and look at the, uh, the, you know, the history also, because I forgot when these, we had done, um, I think we did when, when hoist came out, right. We went up to the Flynn theater in Vermont and it was kind of like a, a release concert, I suppose, because when they did the album, they had horns on the album. They used the tower, the tower of power horns from uh, the West coast when they did the album. So they came to the East coast and we ended up doing, um, it was kind of a surprise thing, I suppose, but we had the, more than the giant country horns. We had uh, extra guys in that one. Uh, at the Flynn, and then uh, it went over really well. So they were at the Beacon Theater a little little while later, and we ended up. They called up and said, "Hey, can you come up?" I was in New Orleans. They flew me up to play the Beacon uh, with, with the Giant Country Horns, and then I think chronologically, I think that's when they came back down to New Orleans and um, uh, contacted me. And they had been in contact with. Uh, Michael Ray, who's also on this concert that we're talking about, right? And I've known Michael Ray, uh, not not on stage uh, together, but just kn- knew his playing. And he was with Cool and the Gang and Sun Ra Orchestra, and he had his own group called uh, Cosmic Crew. So anyway, Michael is a New Orleans uh, staple, right, as far as trumpet players, and he's an incredible player. So that gig that we played, the one we're talking about, is the first time I met him in person, so... Um, it was just incredible. So anyway, uh, somebody from management um, from called me and said, hey, we're coming back down to New Orleans and, you know, come on out. So uh, I've been to a lot of shows uh, where I haven't played, but it was, you know, always bring your horn. Right? That's what Trey would say. Just bring your horn. You know, we'll see what goes on. And then <laughs> but, but the, the thing with um, with Michael, though, that was just kind of it was it was a bit spontaneous. But uh, knowing the, the guys in the band, I think there was a little bit of, uh, you know, strategy there because we ended up playing at the end there and I thought it went pretty well. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's um, great. Did you rehearse at all before? Oh, sorry, RJ. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. Uh, no, no rehearsals. They just wow. said, Hey, you know, this song, right? Yamar. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know it. I've never played it with them, but let's, let's yeah. do it. And then if you listen to the recording, you could definitely tell there's two different trumpet players up there, you know, but um, because Michael, he's just, he screams to the high heavens, you know, he's just got that, He's got that thing going, and we just had such a great time. The visual, too bad there's not a video of it, because he is just, he's quite a showman out there. Can I, Carl, I got to go back. Well, first of all, the, the Flynn show that you guys did, that was April 4th, 1994, and that's where yep. all those songs were debuted. Um, Son of yes. a Jewel, Down with Disease, if I could. Um, Ju- I mean, Julius, so right? Julius, Wolfman's. Yeah. Wolfman's, that's, yeah. That's really cool. Um, will you tell, I think you've told this story either on, to to uh, me and Tom, or maybe on Undermine, but the the Beacon show that was in May of '94, or, or sorry, later that it was like a week later. Didn't yeah. you didn't you have some trouble getting into the getting into the venue? Oh oh yeah. yeah. So well, they booked me a flight. You know, this is all before the internet, right? So I get the phone call. You know, can you get here earlier because we we need to do sound check? So we had to rehearse because we had multiple horns on that gig. So at sound check is when we were going to go over that new, uh, you know, the material. So um, I ended up getting in, I forget where I flew into a LaGuardia or something. And it was just like a movie. Cause I knew I was, I could have been late. So I just told the cab, I said, please get me to the beacon theater as quickly as possible. And we just flew through 
I think Central Park or something. It just for you know forever. It seemed like it took forever, but he dumped me out outside. And and at the time, in front of the theater, there were tons of uh, fish fans just hanging out, you know, as they do, right? So um, I couldn't get in the backstage door. Like I was pounding on the door, and I could hear like people warming up inside. So I ended up going to the front of the venue, and. Um, and this whole thing was a surprise, by the way. We're not, the fans weren't supposed to know that we were, you know, there was going to be horns that day, right? So anyway, I've got, it's just me, a small little suitcase and my horn on my back, you know? So I go to the front of the venue and uh, they're looking at me like, well, you can't get in. Like, I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be playing in the band, you know? <laughs> so they finally, we'll send somebody to the back and they, and I guess some some uh, of the fans saw that that I was there. So maybe some word got out that, you know, I was spotted or whatever, but I, I literally made it with two minutes to spare, you know, before we started rehearsing. So that uh, the gig that almost never happened for me. It's amazing. Oh God. And now <laughs> with Twitter, that would have like totally blown up if they had Twitter back then, you know, your picture would have been all over the internet. Oh Everybody God. Yeah. Calling <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. You couldn't have pulled that off that. Yeah. Now, I mean, Oh man, um, Megan, what do you do? You want to go through the first set, or what? What else? What else do we need to do to set this up? Yeah, I think so. Why don't we talk about? I'll read out the first set, and then we can talk about kind of what stands out as the highlights. And I don't know if you have thoughts, Carl, like listening back and just you know what you remember and where you were. I'd love to hear about where you were during during the show and everything. Um, the first set reads: "Buried alive into sample in a jar into divided sky." The horse into silent in the morning, punch you in the eye, bathtub gin, sweet Adeline, rift, Colonel Forbin's ascent into fly, famous mockingbird, Julius. What a set list! Wow. Carl, where were you during the the set? Like, do you would you typically be just like in the, the green room, or would you be watching from the audience, or how how do you take in these shows where you you might you might play eventually? I think this particular show is like. It was just Michael and I at that point backstage because we were going to go on later. So we, you know, I was just rattling him with questions about playing with Cool and the gang, you know, and <laughs> you know, I was a little starstruck because he's such a great musician, trumpet player. So, and he was just so humble. I can't tell you, and we're we're good friends today because of that first meeting. I tell you what, because I played with That's him awesome. uh, with a bunch of times since that you know, since that first meeting, but so Michael and I were just hanging out and I, I don't think he really had listened to fish, you know, um, cause he had his own thing going, but he was, you know, obviously, uh, well known with the guys in the band. So he and I hung out in the green room. And then when they, I remember they played, um, um, buried alive to start the show. Right. What I remember is, I mean, I remember the crowds on the horn tour, you know, it was great. And I'll, you know, the plane of the beacon and just, um, it's just the, the vibe and you could just feel the whole room and the floor was shaking, you know? So just, and that was a big venue uh, if I remember. So we pretty much watched most of it from the side, you know, and, but just, just to see the audience reaction, <laughs> we started playing Barity live. It's like, you know, where are they going to go from here? So it was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best opener that you can get. It's just so energetic and just like launches you right into the show. You're like, yeah. you're at a fish show right now. You know, this is happening. I love it. Yeah. RJ, yeah, we, what's about for you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carl. No, I was going to say Buried Alive. That's another tune. Like they play tunes that we had played with the Giant Country Horns as an addition, you know, during the 91 tour. So Buried Alive was the tune that we played. And, you know, I'm just sitting, in, you know, just remembering what that felt like but to watch them do it without us you know it was just it was it was really just incredible to hear you know that's so yeah. cool had you seen yeah. had you seen them in a while when was the last time you saw fish at this point do you remember for you mean for me recently yeah like uh, no like then you know had you seen them since you played with them in 91 or i guess you, oh you played with them at the flynn and, and yeah had you, it, yeah so you've been yeah I've done, I like, I think I said, I sat in, in 92, they came to Virginia. I was, I was uh, going to music school down there. Um, in 92, I think we played at tracks. So I did mm -hmm. some, you know, one-off sit-ins and, um, so not too many, not too much time 
mm-hmm. went by. But remember, like 94 was um, kind of a busy year for me, at least with sitting in, you know, like because of yeah. the, the Flynn and, and um, we went, oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't know which which came first. It was either the Flynn came first. Uh, yeah. And then New Orleans. But they they flew Michael and I out to California and we played uh, Dave Matthews band open up for us out there at San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to remember what, what show that was, but that was really neat. I think that was after the new Orleans uh, collaboration with Michael. So, and that was cool too, because he and I were on the same flight, you know, from uh, new Orleans to California. That's so we got, great. yeah, we really got to know each other pretty well. And, uh, and then the music was phenomenal at, uh, to get a chance to listen to those shows that we did out out in California, it was awesome. So I did get it. Uh, I you know I, I definitely got a, a great um, great opportunity great opportunities in '94, uh, especially to play with the band in, in different venues. So yeah, that's, really that's cool. so great. Yeah, yeah. I thought this. I mean, this show was interesting because they were. You know, we just we just mentioned it's sort of like a hoist album tour but they didn't really do that although they did play a bunch of 93 and 94 songs at this show um but like the bathtub gin in this is is interesting because they're i'm sure you saw this as they evolved carl that that the improv was really getting out there and this uh bathtub gin was i mean it was really much more i don't really remember having the tape of this show but you know 12 or 13 minutes like really kind of (laughs) pushes pushes the boundaries and yeah. they were they were just kind of starting to do that at this time and um i don't know it's just a it's a reminder that these some of these shows that we don't go back to that often like they have these little gems in them of of improv and and you're sitting at the end that uh i don't know it's just it it, it was changing so fast their musical style yeah and you know what about that too is like you never felt that the audience was not with them you know, it just, yes. it seemed, it seemed to be a very collective vibe. I don't really yeah. know how to better say that. So it was, yeah. very, it was like accepted, you know, and, yeah. uh, but it was, it, it was great. It was great to watch and, and, and listen to for sure. Were yeah, you? I saw them exactly. Oh, sorry, RJ. I was just going to say, I saw them exactly yeah. a month later and, yeah. you know, what stands out to me so much is just their energy and their connection with the audience. Like you were saying, they were right there with them. Like we were all just on this journey together and anything they did, people were just eating it up. And I think they, it was so cool to watch a band grow and change so much the size of the venues and, and the amount of people at the shows, but also just retain who they were. And that was what's super exciting and stood out to me. Yeah, were were you yeah. listening to them at all, Carl? This time, like, would would you have known this? Like, because I feel like walking into a show like this and seeing some of these this improv might have been a little bit surprising based on having seen them and and played with them years years and years before. Uh, yeah, that's that's funny you say that because you're not going to listen to them on the radio, right? There was no Sirius XM jam on right. Fish Radio, yeah. so you, you know you couldn't. You know, I forget what was the uh, was it the Doniak Schweiss? If you're familiar with the newsletter that they used to send, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so like then there was tape trading, which I wasn't doing um, mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, so yeah, it was there were there were new things that came out, but I was you know I was pretty hip to the the new stuff they were sending out because they would send me things, you know, and uh, nice. which I really appreciated. And um, awesome. Yeah, so it's it's very fresh, right? You go to a a new show, you hear new songs, and um, yeah, that was the really cool thing about way back when, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I agree, RJ. This bathtub gin is like super exploratory and like trancey almost. It they get to like a really cool space. It's definitely different. Like it's not as rhythmic as you know a lot of their jamming, but. I think as they heading into November, their sound starts to get a lot more psychedelic and they spend a lot, take a lot, you know, bigger jams and take a lot more time kind of breathing in these jams in a way that's like very different from what they had been doing. It's pretty exciting. It's also just fun to hear too the like, audience reaction to the rift to rift songs. And I mean, people go crazy when they play rift. I mean, maybe it's because it's the audience recording. You can really hear it, but 
to me, that was the album that got me into Fish. And everybody I knew who liked Fish was listening to Rift in 94. Like that's just, even though Hoist came out, it was like people were like really immersed in the Rift stuff. So it's cool to hear them play that and people get so into it. And then yeah. you have a really, really fun narration in Colonel Forbins, which is just super cool. And I think a really inspired Mockingbird. I think Trey sounds amazing. And I was also really sad that you didn't come out for the Julius because that would have been amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I think I think somebody was holding me back backstage. <laughs> <laughs> we had to get the mouthpiece and the horn just ready to go. But yeah, because that yeah. I mean, that arrangement, I mean, those arrangements on hoist for for the horns, you know, that that's that's Tower Power is like the pinnacle horn section. Right. So in uh, musician talk, those arrangements really lay so well for the instrumentation right they just they just fit so well it's not like it's not awkward it's you know it just it just lays so nice you know like it, it was just incredible so to be able to play um those same arrangements i think when we did at the flynn you know whatever was on the album we were playing those arrangements so that was really cool that's so cool so you're getting charts beforehand like of for music the, or just kind yeah. of learning it for the Juliet, for the, all of that new stuff. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it made it so much easier when we did, when we did the horn tour, it was, uh, I just, I need to do a shout out to Dave Grippo and Russ Remington because those, those two guys are my brothers and we go back so far and, you know, uh, just the most incredible musicians, you know, my personally, my playing, um, it's just like playing with really good athletes on a team. They just make you better. So that whole time with them was just, I just grew as, grew as a musician myself, uh, obviously playing with fish, but, but playing with those horn players are just great. So, but when we were on the horn tour in 91, basically Trey sent us um, split open and melt um, a couple others. Uh, and then we, we pretty much, made up a bunch of stuff right and then we wrote it down and that's what became the horn you know the horn uh, arrangements for that tour you know like Susie greenberg you know came up with it um um uh now, now these names they they escaped me the cavern you know that just yeah. that was the the cavern stuff that i did that was just you know then it just played this one line it's like oh that that fits let's keep doing this right so stuff like that it just kind of you know uh, uh golgi apparatus right stuff like that that just we, we came up with that one on a, um on a a sound check uh, on the horn tours like hey let's put horns to this because you know we played a lot of repeats during that 91 tour just because we kind of had to um but we learned stuff as we went along that being said we kind of wrote our own parts so one thing one one another regret is when i left after the atlanta show i left my pink tuxedo that we had to wear every night uh i left that in fishman's van i left the music there you know and i had to make a flight i mean i should have saved all this stuff right, <laughs> right. Yes, every, yes. every every show trey would take um he would take uh, notebook paper and he'd write the set list for everybody and he'd cut it up in thirds for the horns and he'd write it three times. And, he, and I just put it in my case and I had all like 14 shows of set lists and what happened to him? I don't know. You know, I, I, those are other things I wish I had held on to, but we That's never amazing. thought, yeah, we never thought it was going to be, you know, I mean, I always knew they're the incredible band. They're so special, uh, but it's just funny to 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 look at folks now and, and know that they kind of dig into the stuff that we did way back when. So it's neat. Oh yeah, and then when yeah. you're in the moment and you're young and you're performing, it's hard to imagine kind of the lasting importance of what you're doing, or you know how people will look back on something. And plus, you're busy. I mean, I can't imagine learning and making up parts to songs like Gogi Apparatus and you know <laughs> Split Open and Melt, such complicated compositions like. That's yeah. Incredible. Well, That's, you know, David Bowie. I mean, all this, it was, the thing was Megan, it was inspiring. It was like stuff that came out, stuff that we wrote down. It, you, it was like a 24 seven vibe the whole time. I mean, we, you know, we, they, we weren't traveling like they are now, right? Like in, in the custom of what they're trying, you know, the way they're traveling at least we were in vans, we were in hotel rooms together 
you know, we spent pretty much every waking moment together, the band, the crew and the horns, you know? So it was just, and when it came to playing, it was like, okay, well, let's, let's just do this. And, and great stuff came from it. Can't believe how many songs you guys learned. I mean, those, those 91 shows, like, I mean, it's the whole show, right? So it's not just sitting in for a, a set of a set or, or a few songs. I mean, I had do- yeah. dozens, right. Even though there were repeats, like you said, you guys kept working more in, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, I guess that's your job as a musician, but it still seems overwhelming given the complexity of some of these songs, right? There's like yeah, yeah. foam or something that has like four <laughs> different parts. Oh my God. Thank God I didn't play saxophone on foam because those guys just, they absolutely crushed it. And I just, I was able to just kind of watch for a little while, you know, and play, play my part, but uh, very, very, very uh, intricate, you know, and those, they're just phenomenal musicians. They were able to handle it. They were playing guitar parts on saxophone. You know, it's, that's pretty cool. That is so cool. I also read a, I think it was an interview that you did with like the Mockingbird Foundation a long time ago, but you were talking about how Trey forced you to wear the tuxedos, even in the heat, which is so funny because the band has never seemed like a band that really cared about what they look like. And there's a lot of evidence of that out there, but here they are forcing you (laughs) to wear the tuxedos. I find that hilarious. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, it might've been Arrowhead Ranch or, or one of the shows. It was really hot and it was a daytime gig. Um, I think it was Arrowhead Ranch and we played two dates there. And the second, you know, uh, uh, Grippo and, and Remington are like, Hey, you know, we gotta, somebody's gotta ask Trey if we can just wear shorts, you know? So like, okay, I'll do it. You know? So I went up and I said, Hey, Trey, uh, you know, what's, it's really hot, man. Can we, can we wear shorts, you know? And he's Trey. He's just so lovable. He just looks at me. And goes, you know, he's like, "Gears, what's your name, man? What's your name?" I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "You, you guys are the Giant Country Horns, man. You got to look like the Giant Country Horns." So <laughs> that was it. I'm like, I'm like, "Hey, man, I was in the Navy, right? You got to pause. Yeah. We got, you know, yeah. uh, you know." So I yeah. went back, and but we wear we wore those uh, pink tuxedo jackets, Megan, uh, for 14 straight shows. So it was. So they kind of stood up on their own when I left them in Fishman's yeah. van, you know. <laughs> but it was kind of, you didn't want to take it with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Incredible. Um, well, Megan, I guess can we jump to the second set? Yeah, let's do it. So the second set is uh, a great opening with the curtain into Tweezer into Life Boy. I'll take that opening any day. Gaiuti, Chalk Dust Torture, Nellie Kane, The Beaumont Rag, Foreplay, Long Time, Squirming Coil, Tweezer Reprise, and then the Encore with Yamar and Cavern with Carl and Michael. Amazing. I think you're right. The, the, the Tweezer is, I mean, you know, again, I like sort of back to what I was saying earlier, this 94 era, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pushing the boundaries. I think this is, um, you know, for Undermine this this season, we're doing some looking at across the '90s and um, the tweezer. The tweezers from like the late '94, early '95. This one, it's not that long and it's not that um, you know much. Like it's not a version people talk about, but you know, 13 or 14 minutes. They really get out there. It's I think unusual, unusually kind of exploratory for this this month. But over the next month or two after this, it like takes on a whole different life. So it's sort of interesting to like see this transformation and then life boy man what a perfect what a perfect song to land into after after any after anything really um that's a really great great opening yeah after anything and especially after like a super weird tweezer that i don't know this is not my favorite kind of tweezer but you can hear them taking risks right like stretching out and trying things and it sounds a little disjointed to me at times but i think it's like that bridge to the 95 jams that we're gonna get and I think it's cool. I mean, you're also got the banger tweezer later, like they're leading up to some like monster tweezers and it's exciting to hear them kind of like pushing the boundary of that. Um, they're definitely not rhythmic and they can be a little challenging to listen to, but if you like weird stuff, then this is, <laughs> this is your jam. <laughs> and, and Carl, at this point in the second set, are you, do you, do you know you're coming on the encore? Or do you know like what's happening? Yeah, but yes, yes. We, we knew um, what we were going to play. Okay. Uh, but just didn't know when it was going to happen. Right. 
he you know yeah. Trey didn't say like Trey didn't give me the set list like he used to right yeah <laughs> he's yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, you guys just, he's like you guys just hang out and you know we'll call you on it's one of those things so and so we had never you know we we didn't rehearse it in sound check there was we just got out there and you know Michael had this big shaker thing uh so he he played that and he and he's screaming these high notes and you know I'm trying to do my thing and we just it was and just the reaction of the audience and and the band obviously it was it was really a lot of fun a lot of fun that is so awesome I I can't even imagine because Michael Red was also like he danced in Sun Ra too right so he was like yeah really physical and yeah yeah I mean to I think the last time I played with them was with uh, Adam and Matthew Chase in in the Jazz's Fish that they do, um, and I think he's got like ten years on me, and uh, I'm not young. But anyway, he uh, he's just incredible shape, and yeah, he, that's part of his shtick. You know, he gets out there and just gets the crowd into it. He's very very physical. So and you know, playing with Cool and the Gang, that whole show is you know horn movements, right? Not not only playing great, but you got to do got to do the show so yeah that's so awesome i'd love to hear about that too gonna have to find out more about that too but i think the set is the set is awesome i mean the chalk dust torture absolutely rips and then they've got these little like mini acoustic sets that they're doing you know they start doing sometimes and it's really cool they they played some of these songs not very often that beaumont rag they only played it four times this fall but i think something that really stands out is this long time foreplay. I mean, how amazing to take like this Boston arena rock song and turn it into this acoustic bluegrass tune. I mean, it's so cool. I just thought it was really awesome. Yeah. And then like just the juxtaposition of the acoustic kind of segment in the second set and then the horns coming in in the encore and then with like this weird tweezer and the Gaiuti, which is this kind of new at the time complicated arrangement. I mean, there's like a, it's just such a diverse set of, set of sounds. Um, and I think that you mentioned that the Boston cover, um, of course, they started playing it, I think like four shows before this. So they, they hadn't played it very often. And, and this was just this acoustic 94 stuff really brought out some, some really cool arrangements. Um, yeah, really, it was an interesting set for sure. And then they, they kind of like, yeah, and I think this uh, Stan, who's Stan the man who's watching on YouTube, the foreplay longtime precursor to the Boston Cream Baker's Dozen for sure. It's got to be right. I think they'd like. Yeah, been it has to be wanting to do yeah. that for a long time. They um they played that longtime foreplay a bunch that fall in '94, and then they played it again '99 at Great Woods, but it was electric. And then mm-hmm. I guess they played it post hiatus, the first show back in. 123102 like they played the Boston version as pre-show music. Um so it's kind of cool, but yeah, it definitely seems like it was it was a lead up. They've been thinking about that for a while, which is pretty cool. Um yeah, and then a gorgeous squirming coil, so beautiful. Page sounds incredible. And then the encore and I just have to say the interplay between the horns and Page at the end of Yamar is just thrilling to listen to. It's just so you could, you're like talking to each other in this way that just sounds so organic and it adds so much, I think. And the cavern is like, it already has kind of like a debaucherous feeling cavern, but when you <laughs> yeah. add the horns, it's like really, you know, whenever I hear cavern, like I can't dance hard enough. Like the music, it just like, I can't seem to like dance hard enough because it just like hits so good, whatever Fisherman's playing. And the horns made it like even more, like cavern is just like the perfect horn song. So good. Yeah, I, I love that song. I love playing it. And they do different tempos throughout the years, right? Could one one version could be quicker and one could be slower, but you're right about the that drum intro. It you know, nobody has to tell you what song it is when you hear him play, right? That you know it's coming. So Exactly. It just hits so good. So how does yeah. Trey do this? He go they go backstage before the encore and then he's like, We're gonna go on. How does he kind of tell you guys what you're gonna play or He's like, I you're think gonna play Yamar, and then he did he tell you guys like yeah I think we then? yeah he talked about it I think I think he talked about it before the show it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know between you know 
goes off the stage after the last song before the encore and says, oh, by the way, we're going to do this. I think we already talked about it. Um, and Cavern, I had already, you know, I've already played a bunch of times with them. So I think maybe Michael and I just fooled around with Cavern a little bit. I kind of gave him the form of it, you know, and said, hey, they're going to mm-hmm. do this, you know, and then I do the the answer stuff, you know, Trey would sing and then I'd answer. I I play in the fills, right? So yes. that was kind of my thing. So I did most of the fills on that. And then whenever you hear this, like, high, um, you know, dog whistle uh, trumpet, that's Michael, you know, so, uh, but he, he just, he's got great ears. So he just fit right in, you know, and then when they held the last note out, which is longer than normal, because horn players, you can, mm-hmm. you can only breathe so long, right? Unless you can circular breathe, which I can't do. But uh, it's like, you know. When are we going to end? So he just kept going and just took another breath and kept playing. So that's so. And now I want to listen to it, knowing that about yeah, about yeah. Michael, you know, and listen back again because it's really yeah, cool to, yeah. to think about kind of isolating what you're playing and what Michael's playing. That's really right. cool. Yeah, you should you should definitely be able to hear the difference between um, you know my sound and his sound. Right? Part of it, like I'm thinking, oh wow, it sounded really good, but it was actually Michael. You know, <laughs> just no. so, <laughs> but. Uh, God, I just, you know what, the other thing with him, talking about being organic, uh, um, excuse me, talking about being organic, like that's that's the way we played this show, right? You know, we didn't really know what was going to happen. And that's what happens usually when you're uh, on stage with them. That's the whole beauty of it is kind of unscripted. So you just go with visuals right because Trey will kind of give you a look or a smile or something that just it just triggers you where you don't need anything more than that right you don't need him to mouth the words or you know it just kind of happens and um mm-hmm. and if it's not exactly right he's like all i would need to so <laughs> that's so <laughs> mega yeah that's that's the way i've been feeling for over 30 years with these guys so, yeah yeah it's really cool sorry that's i interrupted amazing. you no not at all well, what one um, Mark who's who's watching on YouTube? Um, sorry, I was going <laughs> to yeah. says the cavern cavern beat is a little weird. It has a like a bit of a swingy off beat. Um, and Fishman is so unique that how, does that just happen as you're playing? Like the you know you don't say like okay we're gonna like you're just following the band playing right? Um, but it kind of ends up being probably a little bit different from standard versions because of the because of you guys being out there. Yeah, I I think there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, definitely, once he starts the groove, I guess you know the beat, um, it just settles right in. It's not like mm-hmm. you're guess you're guessing where to come in, you know. Um, but it's just it's such a great groove that they get in it in every uh, I guess style that they play, right? Um, it's just it's just amazing. So whatever, if, whether it's a Latin thing, you know, if we're doing landlady right or or we're doing cavern or we're doing Susie greenberg or whatever it just there's no guessing you just lock right in i love that and this is the first time you played yamar with them uh i think so that's so cool uh, this I, I, I think so i think so i don't i don't remember maybe playing it on the horn tour if it was around then but you know i my memory's a little foggy with some of the songs um, Seems but, fair. <laughs> but when you, when you contacted me and said, "Hey, you know, we want to talk about the show," um, uh, a really great friend of mine, Marty Harris, had sent me. Uh, he found it somewhere online because I looked for it, you know. Um, and he had sent me the the concert, so it was really neat to to relive that. Yeah. yeah. Have you listened to it in a while or ever? Um, you know what? I probably had a tape of it. Mm-hmm. Um, soon after because they would somehow we would someone would mail me the tape right with so i would have that and you know play it and you know you critique yourself and you know you never know what's going to come next and you know if i knew not to be sitting here talking with you folks about this maybe i would have you know kept saved my tape or something (laughs) (laughs) that's um that's really that's cool that's that's cool to hear and and you're you're right that was the first time yamar was was played i was not played at all on that on that giant country horns no tour, which is interesting because it, it's a it would have been a good one to, but you guys had plenty yeah we had, we had a we had a bunch <laughs> of tunes yeah um and jason um on youtube i think he's he's talking about the 91 tour but um i guess any of the shows you said and he just asked 
how closely did the distributed set list live up to actuals? Did you always, did they always stick to the set list on paper or did they, did they improvise the set list at all? Or was it pretty strict to the, to what was written down? I think in the 91 tour is very, uh, it was very close to what Trey wrote out for us just because we had music that we had to, you know, go through and you, yeah. you're playing, you're playing, you know, if we go from Golgi apparatus to, you know, split open and melt or lawn boy or whatever. So we, we would have, uh, we would have the music handy, you know, not to say the, the jams, those were com complete. We don't know what's coming next. Right. So the tune would just take on a mind of its own. Right. You know, like I think that's the first time we played gumbo. I don't even think there was a, a fade out Dixieland thing on that. It just happened. You know, and Trey just Trey looks at at us and kind of does this. You know, keep going, keep going. And yeah. then the band they dropped out, and we just started this Dixieland thing because we just, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do, I suppose, because it's gumbo. Um, so those kind of things just uh, stretched out in our own little jam way, I guess, with horns. Um, but every show I thought was a little bit different from the other one that we, you know, a previous show that we had played. So, um, but the, the, you know. The long answer to a short question is it was pretty strict with regard to the 91 tour as far as what we're going to play top to bottom. And I have another question just for this show in New Orleans. I mean, I know New Orleans is so, so collaborative and there's always collaborations with other musicians. Was this a common thing at the time for you? Like, did, were you going out to just sit in with musicians either on jam nights or, or getting invited to come out and play with lots of different people? Like, how, how did that work back in the, in the 90s? Um, well, actually, I, I was in the Navy band at the time, and we we were working a lot. You know, we did all I was in a, a kind of a brass band, uh, which is one of the units that I played in. I suppose we did ceremonies, we did uh, parades, but I was in a really good kind of brass band. And we did a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of concerts for the Navy, you know, out in public concerts that we did all the, the Mardi Gras parades, you know, um, I think all in all, I might have played like 60 Mardi Gras parades of my three years that I was there. It was amazing. But um, so I was wow. busy, really busy with with the Navy band stuff. So I did start working with um, some Latin bands where I was like the only guy that couldn't speak Spanish there. And those gigs would start at like 11 o'clock and, and then we played till three, you know, so that was kind of once I got in. Yeah, I got in the scene with with those guys, and they called me back. You know, that was kind of my um, my outlet, other than the stuff I was doing with the Navy. So, but when you know when fish comes to town, you drop everything, right? And 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 just the hang, because oh, you know, I used to hang with them a lot when they were in town, and we would just hang together. And it wasn't uh, you'd have to go through five security guards to get backstage, right? So um, there was a couple, but it was just more of a family and. Um, you know, obviously the opportunity to be invited to play. I mean, I knew, I certainly knew then how special that would be for me. So I was, you know, very musically uh, satisfied in, in New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, what a place to play music. It seems like yeah. it'd be incredible. Yeah. yeah and in this version great. of Yamar, it's like, I feel like it's like a Sunday morning at Cafe du Monde. You're like eating beignets <laughs> and drinking your chicory coffee. And like, you're hearing this like, great band walk by playing Yamar. I mean, it's like, such a, I, that's just how I was imagining it. It seems it's so, it sounds so New Orleans. It sounds great with the horns. I love it. Amazing. This is amazing. Thank, and thanks Carl for, for sharing, sharing your thoughts on this stuff. Um, where, so we talked about Hampton 98 um, a couple of years ago and I know that you had, we, you've talked to Tom about that. There were like some, there's some fun conversations about that, but what, what are the, besides the 91 tour, are there other sit-ins with the band that, that particularly stick out to you um, over the years? Um, I would have to say, you know, everyone was special, you know, not to sound politically correct, but every one of them was, is incredible. Um, but I, I could say the last time I suppose the, I suppose the last time I played with them, which was in 2012 uh, in, down in Virginia, um, that was really cool because at the time I would go to shows and, you know, it, there wasn't really expectation to play, but it was always like, you know, always bring your horn. That was the whole thing. So, but I think that time Paige is like, when we talked on the phone, he's like, yeah, 
Um, cause it was a different, you know, this is after they broke up and they got back together. Right. So things had changed drastically, um, backstage with regard to like who was backstage, you know, it was all business, right. Which I mean, it was yeah. great. It was great. It wasn't mayhem. Like not to say it was mayhem before, but there was a lot of folks back backstage yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So when, you know, you know, Paige said, you know, Richard, their, their tour manager, just talk to Richard, he'll take care of you. So Richard's like, okay, do this, do this. And when I parked my truck backstage, like it was my truck and all those tractor trailers that are backstage. There was no other vehicle. So I'm like, wow. So anyway, uh, and Paige said, you know, make sure you, you know, bring your horn this time. So I was pretty excited because that, at that point I knew, you know, they had talked about it and they wanted to get me up there. So what I didn't know was what we were going to play. So when, before the, the show, um, uh, we're hanging out with uh, with with the guys in the band in, in one of the practice rooms, and and Trey's like, "Hey, do you know Party Time?" I'm like, and I I didn't know it that well. I heard it, and he's like, "Well," so he grabbed his guitar, and but Fishman's uh, his children were really small, maybe an infant, you know, and they were sleeping, so I had to put a mute in, and Paige went to the practice room piano, and and Trey had his guitar unplugged, and we went through the song. He's like, "Okay, and you play this lick, and you play this lick, and then." you good? I'm like, okay, I'm good. So that's, that's how it all, you know, that's all how it began. And then, um, you know, Trey was, we basically had a a lot of years had gone by since I had seen them, you know? And, um, so he's just, he just started asking me what's going on in my life. And I told him what I was doing and, you know, he just, he, he just came up with this really, um, kind of a unique intro. If you listen to that, that does that six nineteen twelve. I think is the the date of it. You know what what he said. So anyway, it kind of sparked some other things that happened after that because it was quite a, a unique introduction. But anyway, uh, just a chance to play with them. I, that plus it came out it had a really kind of a high quality video to it. So uh, uh, that's on uh, YouTube. So it's really nice to to reflect on that. And knowing that that in itself was no rehearsal, just a lot of spontaneity and an opportunity to play with them. So that was probably the one because it's so close to in my memory, right? So yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was really mm-hmm. awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. That well, summer too, they just they just seemed like they were having a lot of fun that summer too. Like they had yeah. those running jokes about tucking, and you know they were just being really silly and yeah. playful on stage that summer. And it makes sense that they wanted to bring you on. And you know, I think that's really cool. I love hearing yeah. that story. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's really cool. And, uh, and uh, I mean, hopefully that happens again soon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we have some other requests for that, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jason's we... saying, I hope you'll be at MSG this year. <laughs> I'll have I'll have my horn, right? I always get my horn with yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. Travel with your horn. Um, thanks, Carl, for, for revisiting this and, and sharing yeah. your memories with us. Well, you guys are awesome. And uh, Megan and RJ, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate oh, it. Thank you. This is so generous of you. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carl. And we hope to see you soon. And do you want to tell um, everybody where they can hear you playing music? Yes, thank you. I play with a great band called Roomful of Blues. They've been uh, kind of a Rhode, a Rhode Island staple, uh, national blues act that uh, they've been together for over 50 years. You know, some different personnel, but uh, an incredible band. I think they've uh, had five Grammy nominations and I, I play kind of not exclusively, but I play a lot with them. And um, we do travel all over the country. Uh, we, we certainly did pre-COVID. I went out to the Chicago Blues Festival. We played Montreal, and you know we do a lot of stuff in the Northeast. But uh, we actually are—is this this is live, right? What yeah. we're doing right now? Oh, okay, yes. so yeah, we're playing this weekend. We're playing uh, Friday night, uh, the fourteenth, at the um, at the Stadium Theater in uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. With, and then uh, Saturday night, we're at Daryl's house. If you remember Daryl Hall, yeah, Hall and Oates, yeah. So it's a really awesome venue in Pauling, New York. We're playing there Saturday night. And uh, we've also got a gig on the North Shore on Sunday. So it's really cool. We're playing three in a row. And the guys in the band are awesome. And we have a really nice fan base. Most of everybody that comes out to see the band has been fans for years. So if you get a chance, check out Roomful of Blues 
Uh, and our latest album is called In a Room Full of Blues, which was released Yay. on the day that COVID hit, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, but, uh, oh my god! Yeah, but it, it sat, you know, it sat on top of the charts for like for international blues for like months. We were, it was either Robert Cray or us on top. So it was wow. really cool. Yeah, during COVID, it was nice to be recognized, you know, by uh, by folks out there. So if you get a chance, you know, uh, stream, you know, go out there, buy the album, or go stream it, or come out and check out a show. That's fantastic. We will also, we'll link to that in the show notes for, for people thank to, you. to check out uh, for the upcoming shows. And thanks for mentioning that, Megan. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much, Carl. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out there with your horn and uh, trumpet on stage. We'd love that. <laughs> that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, okay, Carl. Thanks so much, Carl. Nice to see you thanks. again. Take care, folks. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. That was so great. Oh, and I think amazing. your kids liked it too. Yeah, they are, you know, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting to the point where they're, uh, they're not quiet anymore, but they were for a while. So they did um, amazing. It was really fun. Um, Megan, should I tell people about Sunset Lake CBD before we wrap up? Yeah, I can tell them if you want, since you've got some little friends. Yeah. (laughs) Sunset Lake's line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan or the Carl Gerhard fan searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis, but there's no pain paranoid and anxious side effects. They've got nine different strains from this year's harvest and there's something for everyone. You've got your Hawaiian haze, you've got your cherry abacus, and all the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lakes CBD farmers. And even better, their farm-to-table approach It's amazing because it gives you really great pricing on premium CBD because they're shipping it directly from their farm to your door and they're going to ship quickly and really inexpensively. So check them out. I love Sunset Lake. I've gotten really into CBD. Helps me sleep. It helps me relax. It's just a nice thing to take on like a Sunday afternoon when you want to relax a little bit, but you still have some things to get done with your family or with your friends. So check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and you can use the coupon code HFPOD and you're going to get 20% off your whole purchase. So check them out today. Thank you, Megan, for doing that. Um, and <laughs> we should say we're going to be back on Monday and on on Monday, we're going to do something a little bit different and I hope I hope it's okay with everybody. I think it will be um, because we, you know, we kind of do what we want. But we do what, what's good for you all too. And we think that it would be good to go back to last fall and talk about the fall 2021 tour. I think in retrospect, it's one of the best tours that we've seen in years. So we're going to spend a few episodes looking at some of the fall 2021 shows with guests who were there. And on Monday, we're going to talk about the 10, 16, 21 show from San Francisco, which is Brian and I were there together. It was just, man, so fun. And we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to look at San Francisco, Eugene, Chula Vista, the Forum, and um, we're going to talk about fall 2021. So, you know, listen back to those uh, and we'll, we'll see you guys there next week. Yeah, do your homework. And these shows, I'm so excited to go back to these. I feel like when they were happening, I was having so much FOMO because I couldn't see any of them. And so I was listening and kind of like crying myself to sleep. But I'm excited to get to revisit them on HF Pod and talk to everybody who's there. It's going to be really fun. And I guess before we before we wrap up, we should tell you about our partners at Fans for Racial Equity. They're seeking to build an anti-racist live music scene and promote liberation through racial equity in the world at large by activating the collective power of our community. You can check them out at shows. They go to all the shows. You can check them out on the internet at fansforracialequity.org, fans with a PH, of course. Um, they have education, outreach, community partnership programs, and they're really great. And we're, we're happy to be helping spread the word for them. Um, I think that's it, Megan. Anything else we need to we need to say before we go? I don't think so. Thanks, RJ. This is a lot of fun. It was fun. We'll see you all on Monday. Yep. See you then. Osiris. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. 
We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hello everybody, I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on... The Corner of Grey Street.